30 separate times about every 10 weeks on this podcast over six years, I picked five stocks. I chose a theme that made sense to me at the time, sometimes sublime, sometimes silly. And then I thought to myself, what are the five best recommendations that I can come up with for stocks that fit that theme? Aiming, of course, always to beat the market, the S&P 500. Otherwise, hey, why are we bothering? And then one year later, we reviewed the picks, and then another year passes, the two-year review. Yep. Two years later, we never forget. We hope you wouldn't also. We score everything transparently and accountably because we're fools. You should expect that of us. And then the three-year review, which is going to be the most telling. Why is that? Well, first of all, three years have passed since I picked those five stocks. We really can be smarter about what's happened and why and what we can learn after three full years. And that's the smarter part. But if I've done my job well, then we'll also be happier and richer as well. Now, that three-year review is also telling because most of the time we end the game right there. We're going to keep holding those stocks in real life, mind you. And you should too, if you own them. But if I kept reviewing all 30 of my samplers in years four and five and six, etc., we wouldn't have time to do much else on this podcast. Well, 30 separate times I've picked five stocks, what I've also called my five stock samplers. And we're going to review two of those samplers this week. Five stocks with a tailwind blow and five stocks indistinguishable from magic. Review them we will with my two analysts, guest stars Sanmit Deo and Rick Munares. Just how badly has the market treated me? We'll find out only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder, David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for suffering fools gladly. I hope that you're always reminded as you hear that glass break once again, that that is the sound of rules being broken. And that's why this is Rule Breaker Investing, a Motley Fool podcast. The purpose of the Motley Fool is to make the world smarter, happier, and richer. And I love our purpose statement. Every one of our 625 employees and more than that contractors tries to deliver that to you every day. Turns out we can't always guarantee the last of those, the richer part. And this market year has been a reminder that one year in every three, on average, historically, the market loses value. So we'll just try to make you smarter, happier, and richer on this podcast in any given week. But for any market year, that richer part, no guarantee. Last week, I had my personal pleasure. It is a very personal, arguably self-indulgent pleasure of being able to air out my most recent list of pet peeves. And I want to call out in particular the first two that I did because I've gotten some enjoyable Twitter feedback there. Some of you have said that you'll never say last but not least again, (laughs) or at least if you say it or hear it, You'll be reminded, perhaps, of my brief diatribe on last week's podcast. And then, thank you, Desmond Walker, at DW78 on Twitter. Are the gaps widening or narrowing at David G. Fool? This episode was dope. Thank you very much, Desmond. And may your gaps always be narrowing. Because let's face it, friends, even if gaps widen more than they narrow, I can't imagine that ever happening 
more than about a two to one ratio. That doesn't make much more sense to me. And thinking about headlines referring to widening gaps at a level of 16 to one, those that narrow. Well, Desmond, I got you. We got each other. Rarely do I mention this, but it's worth pointing out from time to time. If you haven't already, I hope you'll subscribe to Rule Breaker Investing. This podcast on iTunes or Spotify or Google Play or wherever you find your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at, at RBI Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter if you like. I'm at David G. Fool. Finally, I hope you'll give us a review on whichever site you download podcasts from. Throw me some stars. Let us know how we're doing. I read every comment. All right. This is a review of Palooza episode one of our longest-running episodic series. It's a pleasure to review, in good times and bad, stock picks that we've made years ago. I think it's a, a unique aspect of The Motley Fool that as an online site now entering our fourth decade, we started as a keyword on AOL. I think it's appropriate that we continue to be accountable and to remind you and learn together how things have done based on what we said. And on this podcast for years, I said... These five stocks, I think, whatever the theme is, these five stocks, I hope, will beat the market. And we've done a good job checking back one, two, and three years later ever since. I always get the help of talented analysts around The Motley Fool. We've never had a shortage of them. I'm looking forward to being joined by Sanmi Deo and Rick Minares a little bit later. But first, before we start with the first of those two samplers to reflect on, and the first one we're going to be doing is five stocks indistinguishable from magic. I want to restate why we do this. Why do we do these Review of Palooza podcasts? And I guess I have three things that come to mind as I answer that question. The first is, it's important to review stuff. I think that's true in life. It's often we don't give enough time to reflecting on whatever's just happened, good or bad. Sometimes we rush to the next thing, but we would have been smarter as we rushed to that next thing. Maybe we wouldn't have rushed to that next thing if we'd first reflected for a little bit about why whatever just happened, happened again for good and for ill. So I do think it's important to review stuff. And I'm speaking to myself as much as you today, because I need to keep reminding myself of that as well, to review Review is good. And especially when we think about the financial markets, review is rare. I often say it's up to you and me to review why stocks have done what they've done because TV sure won't. How many people go on to CNBC or are quoted in the Wall Street Journal saying this or that about a stock or the market overall? And at least in my experience, CNBC and even the Wall Street Journal rarely go back and let you know later on whether that person was right or wrong. In fact, in many cases, they're rushing to the next minute of programming to have that person back on to generate more, and I always use this word in quotes, content. And yet, we don't really know whether the person speaking right now, making their prediction, is right more than half the time, let's say, is worth listening to. Now, certainly, good media vehicles, and I do think that CNBC and The Wall Street Journal do a lot of good, Typically, we'll try to have good people on in the first place, but boy, is there a missing scorecard in the sky that's never really keeping track, as we do for sports, that's never really keeping track of all of those prognostications made in financial media. So it's important to review stuff. TV sure won't. One of the many reasons I love the internet is because the internet does have a memory. And when something is said in a podcast, you can go back and listen to it. 
When a stock is picked at fool.com, you can come right to our scorecard and see how it's done, whether we're talking about 12 months later or 12 years later. It's important to review stuff. Reason number two why we do this, if you don't score, you don't learn. There's an old business saw, and I can see both sides of this. There, there are really two schools, the ones that agree with this and the ones that don't, and I can easily join either one. Contextually, it makes sense to be in one group or the other at different points. Here's the line. If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. A lot of wonderful leaders have had successful careers in business and in life, making sure that we're measuring the things that we want to manage, feeling as if they can't manage it effectively unless it's being measured. Now, on the other hand, it's also true that many of the most important things in life are not that measurable. And so the notion that if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, if you're not able to put a measure on things, well, those are things like love or how you treated your kids yesterday or how well a company's culture influences its ability to innovate. A lot of things can't really be measured that effectively. We struggle for better measures and the struggle is real. And I think it's great to find new measures. I love proxy measures or creative ways of measuring things, but it's also certainly true out the other side of my mouth that it's very hard to measure many of the most important things. But one thing's for sure, if you're not scoring, especially with investing, I don't think you're learning. And that's in part why we do what we do. And then the third reason why we do this is I think it's really helpful to listeners, I hope, to hear me screw up, for me to lose, for me to fail and talk about it on this podcast or as I did at Fool Fest a couple of weeks ago. I think I've already delivered this line on my podcast as well, but I'll say it once again. It was in some ways a perverse but important pleasure for me to stand in front of a room of a few hundred people and say, whoever's down, however much you're down. I'm down more. I think that's very important for me to be able to say and for a lot of people to hear because I think the assumption is that people who are in the professional world, you know, professional stock pickers, advisors, analysts, they must always get it right. And it's the rest of us, the so-called retail investor to point to a past pet peeve podcast, the so-called retail investor doesn't get it right. But the truth is, the professionals get it wrong all the time. And I think part of being professional is owning that. All right. Well, we're about to get to our first sampler. I do want to mention after we do these two samplers, I'll spend a little time at the end reflecting overall on how these 35 stock samplers, these 150 stock picks are doing and have done. That enterprise level waterfront view, if you will. But for now, Let's go right into one of the boats to strain this lame metaphor on the waterfront. Sit down in it, look around, see where we are and what we can learn from that sampler. Let's start with five stocks indistinguishable from magic. Send me, Dale. Great to have you back to Rule Breaker Investing. Great to be here, David. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And I think each time I try to ask sort of an icebreaker question just to get us into the frame of mind here. I don't remember if we did it last time, but I know one thing. I came up with one this time and I shared it with you ahead of time. So you and I have both briefly had a chance to premeditate answers to this question. Sanmeet, if you could wake up tomorrow having gained one skill, ability, or talent, what would it be and why? And the only clarification I want to give here is you're not allowed to give like a superhero power or ability. This needs to be an achievable for most of us skill, ability, or talent. What would it be for you, sir? 
Yeah, and you know, I'm going to use a little bit of recency bias because uh, over the past couple of years, I've started doing more formal martial arts training. And so, ah. if I could wake up tomorrow, I'd love to just be a black belt martial artist with all the skills and talents in in kickboxing that that, that I'm learning already. Um, um, so that would be a lot of fun. And then hopefully, with that comes like um, the ability to have a body that is able to sustain injury and all those kinds of things. That sounds really good to me. And Samit, um, you and I, having worked together for a couple of years, still have never met in person. I do look forward to that day as the world continues to try to get past the pandemic and understand what hybrid work means going forward, which I'm sure there will be a lot of clarification to as the months pass. But am I not right that part of your own business background is having started and run your own gym? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we so we ran a kickboxing gym, but it was more fitness kickboxing. So ah. it was primarily hit style kickboxing to get in shape, to get to get your cardio in, and and all that. Not the traditional martial arts where you would learn to kind of spar, learn to 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 train in a in a martial arts Understood. competition type setting too. So yeah, and so you can now go after black belts this way, but not from the style of what you were doing in your previous gym. Am I right? It's a martial yes. art. Yeah, so currently I am training and my kids as well in martial arts where wow. you you go up the belt rankings um, as you progress and as you kind of get better. And we're also doing some competitions within the, the school uh, across the, the, the tri-state area. So, wonderful. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Awesome. And I guess trying to answer my own question, I would say if I could wake up tomorrow having gained the ability to remember more than about the 5% of my reading that I actually remember, I would be a much happier and more impressive person. Maybe it's with my passing years, although I remember back in my 20s, my memory wasn't that good. I do feel like so much of what I read, I forget. And that's most frustrating. All right. Well, Samit, thank you. Let's get into this. Now, the theme, a phrase from Arthur C. Clarke. We've talked about it before in this podcast, of course, since this is the third time we've been talking about this group of stocks the second review uh, from Arthur C. Clarke's great line, one of his three laws, by the way, and I had to check Wikipedia for this because I've never read Clarke's essay, Hazards of Prophecy, The Failure of Imagination, which was first published in 1962. But one of his three laws, the last and best known, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And I do hear that quoted quite a lot these days. And maybe, Sanmi, it's because we see more instances of really interesting technology pop up, it seems, with every passing year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the technologies that we have now versus um, 10 to 15 years ago, it would look like magic to to, to us back then. Um, For example, the EV toll, which is the electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicles. I don't know if you've seen Ah. these, almost dubbed flying cars. I mean, back... 10, 15 years ago, we would have thought that's magic. And now they're testing them and it's it's possibly going to be here in a few years. I, you know, I keep waiting for the flying cars to show up. For the last 10 or 15 years, any YouTube video that had enough views that looked legit from a site <laughs> that maybe I could tap into, I put myself on the waiting list for that. Yeah. And I've seen some amazing videos. I know this is going to happen one day, the so-called Jetsons flying car, an EV vertical takeoff. I am in. So uh, let me know either send meet listeners or companies themselves once this thing hits the market because I'm a buyer. Let me share the two other laws from Arthur C. Clarke. I like these two. The first one, when a distinguished but elderly scientist 
states that something is possible, he is almost certainly right. When he states that something is impossible, he is very probably wrong. That was Clark's first of his three laws. The second, the only way of discovering the limits of the possible is to venture a little way past them into the impossible. And so now it's time to go back in time. Can we have the way back music, please, Rick? The year was 2020. The date was September 2nd. The market is up 9.8% from that day two years ago. Now, with the market having dropped as much as it has in 2022, and as you and I record Tuesday afternoon, last I saw, the markets were down about 4% just today. 9.8% ahead of two years ago feels almost like a fantasy. Or is that really true? Could that have been true? The market was up these two years, but that is true. The real question is, did these five stocks individually and as a basket outperform that 9.8%. So as is our tradition, Sanmi, let's start with the worst performer. And I'm very sorry to say, Pegasystems, ticker symbol P-E-G-A, one of my five stocks indistinguishable from Magic is now down, get this, two years later, 70, 70 71%, the market up about 10%. So that puts us about 80 percentage points in the hole here, minus alpha, the alpha you and I don't like. What has been happening with Pegasystems? Yeah, you know, so while a year ago when we talked about Pegasystems, it was a little challenging to find specific reasons or news for the performance of the stock over the course of the prior year. Um, this year was much different. There, there really was one major story that that severely impacted the stock and took it from last year where it was about $11 billion market cap to almost $3 billion market cap Ooh, now. What a year. Um, and tough year. So basically what happened is, is um, Appian, a, a competitor company, received a verdict from a jury in the Circuit Court of Fairfax uh, County, Virginia, awarding it $2.036 in damages from Pegasystems for trade secret misappropriation. The jury also found that Pegasystem violated the Virginia Computer Crimes Act. Uh, and they also said that misappropriation of the trade secrets were also willful and malicious. Now, crazy wow. story as I was digging into this was it almost um, reads like some sort of like true crime or, or documentary that's going to be on Netflix um, where, you know, it was said that there was a software developer who was working under a government contract for Appian who was recruited by Pegasystems. To, to kind of spy on the company and, and, and misappropriate information. It was also said that the, the CEO, Alan Treffler, created an alias to kind of discreetly obtain um, information from Appian. So, oh, my golly. So crazy, crazy story there. When, and I have to imagine that was, I think it was the day that had happened, the stock took, took quite a beating. Um, and just to put in perspective, you know, Appian is getting a $2.036 billion in damages um, at the time, Appian's market cap was only about $1.8 billion. So, you know, this takes a huge toll on the company, um, Pegasystems, and, and almost makes us wonder if, if the magic that we're talking about that the company has is, is, is withering away. Well, indeed. And, you know, knowing that Appian is a stock owned by many Fool members, I guess I'm kind of happy. I, I, I'm pretty sure a lot more fellow Fools own Appian than Pegasystems. So if one had to pay the other... I guess it went the right direction. That said, we wanted both companies to win, and I picked this one for 
my five stock sampler, and that is extremely disappointing. I really have not been keeping up with Pegasystems, so that news jumps out at me too. It looks like it was one day in May that the stock dropped from about 70 to about 50, but that's part of a, a big progression downward for Pegasystems. That is just one bad day for a stock that today is trading around 40, and it was about 120 last year. Sanmeet, it does remind me that you helped me review this last year. I don't do that with each review of Palooza, but it's fun to have you back looking at the exact same set of five stocks again. Absolutely, and this is one of the this is one of the things that as as uh, listeners should should understand to continue to monitor these companies for different news that comes out um, and and see how they progress over time is very important to to the investing process in itself. Well said, and so we're going to keep our eyes on Pegasystems. I hands off the wheel here. I picked these stocks for three years, two years ago. So all I can do is regret if the company acted illegally. All I can do is regret that. I remember Alan Treffler, who is the longtime CEO of Pegasystems, was a chess expert, a chess master back in the day. Somebody that we've had on Motley Fool Live before. I enjoyed my conversation with him. Sounds as if he and his company are in trouble and it's by their own actions. So that is most regrettable. And it's resulted in a minus 80, minus 80 alpha for this worst performer in I think five stocks that were ahead of the market last year, but now, spoiler alert, are not. All right. Well, from the worst performer, let's go to the best performer. And uh, the good news is three of these five stocks are beating the market over the last two years. The bad news is none of them is doing so spectacularly. So when we start with a minus 80 for Pegasystems, the best I can muster thus far is Replogen, ticker symbol R-G-E-N. Replogen's up 42%, market up 10. So we can give ourselves a plus 32 in the win column so far for Replogen. Sunmi, can you remind us of what Replogen does and then maybe explain roughly why it's gone from 156 to 222 over the last two years? Yeah, so Replogen, and this is one of the reasons I enjoy these baskets um, to kind of to kind of see how you'll have a mixture of stocks within the basket of some that do well, some do, do not, and also to kind of come back on review the same stocks that that are are um, and to get a better understanding of how they're performing. So Replogen is a is kind of a picks and shovels way to kind of gain biotech exposure. They supply a lot of the, um, the, the the things that a biotech and pharma company needs in order to do what they do. So, for example, filtration, chromatography, tools, and, and, and things they need to create the biologics and the, and the medicines that, that people need. Um, and this story is, 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 is fairly simple. They're just consistently executing. You know, they're, they've grown and beat revenue and EPS consensus over the past couple of years consistently. Um, it has strong gross margins approaching 60%, healthy operating margins hovering around 30%, and has grown their free cash flow per share over 30% in the past four years, while steadily improving their you know return on invested capital to over 14% in the most recent year. Um, now, some of the some of the only concerns that I can see right now are you know they did have a big COVID related bump in um, from their from their uh, from for revenues and their most recent gross margins kind of compressed a little due to a okay. lot of the things that are affecting many companies inflation supply chain issues lockdowns in China um, but it's hard to it's hard to overlook the impressive results that they've had and the fact that they're providing necessary tools to an industry that's just expanding and growing and in constant need so they're just they're just doing things right you mentioned EPS their earnings per share 
some positive reports, as you were pointing to the stock bottomed in June. That's when my portfolio bottomed anyway. Even after a really bad day today, market's down around 5% now. Um, I hope other fools will join me in saying, I'm up from June though, which I certainly <laughs> am. But Replogen's up from June, up from 140 to 220, still below where it was a year ago. But this is a company, I think, right technology, the right time as an enabler and a supplier to the biotech industry uh, and a profitable one. We, Of course, I continue to really like Replogen. I tend to like my winners more than my losers for very logical reasons. So ticker symbol R-G-E-N, uh, putting up some good numbers. And not to be forgotten, I want to mention Solar Edge Technologies. The ticker symbol is S-E-D-G because with Replogen up 42%, it's getting the headlines here as the top performer. Solar Edge, though, up 41%. And uh, it's been a pretty good year for this company in that it's about where it was a year ago, which you can't say for most rule breaker stocks over these last 12 months. So Solar Edge beating the market by 32 percentage points-ish as well. Of course, the maker of inverters, uh, part of the solar array. If you put an assembly on your roof, lots of solar panels, you're probably going to want to have inverters, which translate the sun's current into electrical current, your plugs, your plug outlets, and house can use. So Solar Edge, a stellar performer. Sunmeet, the other two are both in the semiconductor industry. So we have here five quite different businesses, really from different industries, although ASML, ticker symbol ASML, and NVIDIA, ticker symbol NVDA, probably are most similar to each other. Anything you'd like to say about either of those companies, Sunmeet? Yeah, I mean, both of them great companies. NVIDIA has been in the news a little bit more. Um, in early August, they pre-announced um, lower revenue guidance, and it was big because they they, they, they announced that they were going to achieve $6.7 billion of revenue. But this was substantially down from the 7.94 to 8.26 billion guidance they had given in the prior mm. um, in the prior quarter in the 8. billion consensus estimates, what the market thought. Um, it also drastically lowered their gross margins to 46.1% versus the prior, prior, prior guidance of 67.1%. Now, this was primarily resolved the weakness in the gaming revenue segment, um, which was down almost 33% year over year. And it kind of just reflects how NVIDIA's business can change very abruptly given the, 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 the macroeconomic conditions that are in the market and, and um, the end customers that they serve and how demand can dry up really quick. Um, now, while gaming was weak, data center and automotive segments held up well. And so, you know, semiconductors are, are a volatile business. It can shift very quickly, as we've seen here. Um, NVIDIA is still a very phenomenal business, a strong business, and it's going to be challenged in the short short run. But I'm pretty confident the long run future of the company, because of its dry, uh, because of its demand being driven by things such as gaming, automotive, data center, AI, um, all the various things, all the magic that it actually is going to bring to our world in the future. And I feel the same way. And NVIDIA, we have a long-running... I have a long-running love affair with NVIDIA stock since I first picked it, I think, in 2005. It's a story I've talked about on this podcast before. The ups and downs that you had to go through over these 17 years to get from what is a tiny cost basis for Motley Fool Stock Advisor members. Today, the stock's at about 130, which is way ahead of where it was in 2005. But way down from where it was just nine months ago. The stock's been cut in half. This kind of volatility in a cyclical industry is not unusual. 
Sunmeet. I will just note for the record that I don't know, five years ago, the stock was at 50. Today, it's 150. So tripled over five years. With this volatile market, it's almost where you start counting from that has you with the happier, sad narrative you'd like to tell. But for a great company like NVIDIA, if you just look back over any meaningful period of time, you were, you're very happy to be a long-term holder. I suspect at present prices, and you're right, Sami, the market never likes uncertainty. And when you come out with disappointing numbers or projections, your stock's going to get whacked, especially in this environment. Uh, I think it's probably a pretty good buying opportunity. Let's check back in five years, shall we? Well, Samit, it's been great to cover five stocks indistinguishable from Magic with you for a second year in a row and just to fully account for their performance. And again, we're doing this live on Tuesday afternoon, September 13th. The number's always changing. A reminder, since I'm about to report slightly down numbers, this game is not over. We're going to be checking back with these five one year from this week when the final tale will be told. But as of now... Five stocks indistinguishable from Magic with the market up 9.8%. These stocks average a gain of 4.7%. So we're five percentage points behind the market after a gut-wrenchingly bad last 12 months. Let's hope the Magic re-emerges and continues going forward. Sanmeet, thank you so much for joining me again on Rule Breaker Investing. Thank you, David. All right. Well, from September 2020, let's go back further in time. The date, September 4th, 2019, five stocks with a tailwind blow I picked that day. Since I do try to keep a calendar day of every day in my life, thanks to having had, I don't know, a lot of IMAX going back to 2008 or so, I can see that later that day, after picking this five-stock sampler, I had a game night with friends and played Alhambra, Terraforming Mars, and Ra all three of which I enjoy playing to this day. So there's a window into my world that day. But more importantly, five stocks with a tailwind blow. And my friend Rick Munares is back to help us review these five stocks. Rick, welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Thank you. Great to be here, David. Thanks. Rick, you know my prompt. I gave it to you ahead of time. You're an improv comedian, so you probably could come up with this unaided anyway, but you've had a little bit of time, let's call it two minutes, to think about your answer to our icebreaker question this week. Rick, if you could wake up tomorrow having gained one skill, ability, or talent, what would it be and why? I'm going to go with the ability to sing, uh, which I know seems very petty. uh, But I mean, when I was young, you know, when I was even in my preteens, I'd be writing songs and I would never be – I'd be able to play them because I took piano lessons as a kid. And I, I was a musician uh, in, growing up and was part of a band that got signed to a major label, you know, but nothing ever happened. I was one hit shy of a one-hit wonder. Uh, Paris by Air ended and began at that point. Paris by Air. Love it. I've always loved it when you retell the story, Rick. Yeah. So so, uh, so despite all that, I always had to be like – I always had to have the music, but I had to be attached to a singer. So I always think how easy it would be if I would be able to sing. I could just wake up and you know, and I could just therapeutically not just write songs, but actually like record them <laughs> and say, hey, this is a decent demo. And also for improv too, I mean there is improv, musical improv, which is something that we do at the theater that I, that I perform in in Miami. And I do musical improv, but I'm very weak singer. Uh, I can rhyme well, so I, I, so I make it up in, in ways. Um, but it, like hip-hop, I, I can rhyme my raps well, but I obviously do not have a good rap metric to myself. So I, I can do that. But if I knew how to sing, if I had this nice tonality to my voice, um, 
I don't know. I don't think my life would be different, but I think uh, you know I'd be able to probably be more productive uh, growing up when I was just writing poetry and putting it to music. Yeah, you wouldn't have to learn an instrument. I mean, you could just yeah. be the singer. That's that's what I tried to do back in the day. It's a lot easier not having to learn an instrument. Yeah, you don't get the callous fingers when you start learning to play guitar. You don't have to worry about time as a drummer. Yeah, it'd be so much easier. Well, in honor of your answer, I feel compelled. I should reciprocate as well. So I'm going to say for this one this time, I'm going to say, this is a humble brag. This is very intentional on my part. I'm going to say, I wish I could juggle four balls. Yes, I can juggle three. I've been able to juggle all my life, but never have I been well-trained or really had enough internal motivation to do four, which is so much harder then three. So I wish I could wake up tomorrow and just be juggling, I don't know, as much stuff as I wanted. That is amazing. I thought when you said humble brag, you said, I can juggle five, I can juggle an odd number of balls, but four just throws me off. But yeah, that would be amazing. So yeah. My only humble brag is I could do three because I taught myself out of the Juggling for Klutz's book about 35, seven years ago. And I've always remembered ever since, it's really easy to juggle three. If, If I can teach myself out of a book, I can teach anybody to do it before. That actually takes talent. I think I had that book, but I could never do it past the handkerchiefs. The handkerchiefs in slow motion, <laughs> how you sort of start up, that I could do easily. Uh, you know, as like a referee, an NFL official, I, I can throw the flags around in the right order. But no, balls just, uh, yeah, I could, I could never master that. So let's move from our nascent talents in singing and juggling back to the stock market and five stocks with a tailwind blow. And I was reflecting, since we're at the end of this one, I was reflecting back to the very beginning. Where did the phrase come from? It's a phrase a lot of us understand, a tailwind blow, that in sailing, that's what you want. You're going to win the race if you can catch a good tailwind blow. In technology terms, we often think of what are the big tailwinds, the inevitable technological forces that can propel things forward. I was talking with Sanmeet earlier. He was mentioning 2007, we couldn't even really dream of some of the things we do in 2022. 15 years ago, Rick, the iPhone, of course, it was right around this month, this time of year, 15 years ago, the iPhone was unveiled by Steve Jobs on stage. And think of all the tailwinds that have been created from apps. Well, it didn't help Garmin, presumably, or maybe the the flashlight people as well. But for a lot of us and a lot of companies, the iPhone has created a huge tailwind. But the real story of Tailwind Blow came from a listener writing in. His name, Paul Knoppen. And Paul wrote this little story. And I want to share it since, Rick, we're at the end of this three-year journey for these five stocks. Here's how Paul wrote in to Rule Breaker Investing. He said, my tailwind fetish came about over a 10-plus year period where I was the president and CEO of a company whose revenues historically came predominantly from ad-sponsored weekly Catholic Church bulletins. Unless you're familiar with them, Paul wrote, your first reaction is probably, what? Yet rest assured, we are a real company with 4,000 print customers and between 50 and $100 million of revenue. Not huge, but not miniature. Over those 10 years, the church bulletin business experienced some very strong headwinds. The priest scandal, decreasing allegiance of the next generation to religious institutions, the Great Recession, and decreasing affinity of small businesses to church bulletin advertising. On top of the general decline of ads in print, Paul continued, now taking off my humility cap for a second, let me say we had an excellent management team, clearly the tallest pygmy in our business. We outgrew all others over several decades. However, Given the headwinds, 
About seven years ago, we started a fintech product to solicit and process church donations online. This business was a revelation to us as we pursued a business model that had, and he used all caps for this word, tailwinds. First, we leveraged our large customer network to sign up churches. And then lo and behold, after the first year we signed a church, the revenues and margin grew annually as more church members participated online. After year one, we had virtually no sales costs and no incremental software costs. Now in the bulletin business, we were clearly the best. We worked very hard to achieve a modest single digit growth rate. But in the online transaction world, we were mediocre amongst tougher competition. Yet our existing customers grew 10% a year and we were adding new customers constantly. What I learned is that in terms of creating shareholder value, an excellent management team facing strong headwinds can easily be outperformed by a mediocre team with strong tailwinds. So Rick, taking that note from Paul Kanapin and thinking about it, I thought, you know, that's a really good point. He made several good points there, but the primary one, the great line, an excellent management team facing strong headwinds can easily be outperformed by a mediocre team with strong tailwinds, puts us in mind of some tailwind stocks. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, you want you want a tailwind and you want to avoid the headwinds. Uh, definitely, that is an advantage. That's like the home field advantage um, or AstroTurf, if you know how to play on that turf versus a team <laughs> coming in that does not know the rules of that field. And let's be clear, there's no substitute for strong tailwinds and an excellent management team. That's what I tried to find in the five companies that we are now reviewing. And I would say, Rick, in a couple of cases, I got it dramatically wrong. Let's review these stocks now. Five stocks with a tailwind blow. These were picked, as I mentioned, September 4th, 2019. The game ended for these five on September 2nd, earlier this month. So about two weeks ago, that Friday before Labor Day, we called an end to this contest. Five stocks with a tailwind blow. The stock market over these three years, get this, Rick, the stock market was up 33.4%. Now, many times in the past, we've said at The Motley Fool, the market annualizes average gains of around 10% a year or so. 33.4 feels like a three-year normal annualized performance for the market. These five stocks were all over the map. And ultimately, to spoil the ending, it's going to be a little sad but let's start, first of all, with the worst performer. So, Rick, this is a company you and I know very well. This has been a rule breaker pick, uh, one that we've made, one that still exists. It's a well-known brand. And boy, over these three years, did this stock rock and roll and then ultimately drop 61% over the three-year period. The ticker symbol is the same as the company name, R-O-K-U, Roku. Yeah, definitely. And the weirdest thing about Roku, not the weirdest, but I guess the most painful part of this is a year ago, we were two-thirds of the way through the sampler, and the stock was up 104% after two years. So not only did it give back the fact that it more than doubled, it gave all that back. Unbelievable. It, it would go on to give away another 61% on the way down. So uh, clearly a, a stock that that definitely had two strong years and a horrendous 
past year, like a, many growth stocks, but definitely this is out of the norm. So uh, Roku, and again, w- we all know Roku, I think. It's a smart TV operating system. Roku is, is the Japanese number for six, and it's because of it's Anthony Wood. It was the sixth company that he founded. Um, Anthony Wood is the guy that created the DVR, the digital video recorder. Before TiVo did, he, re- he was with a company. He created a company, Replay TV, that created it. So he was always playing with time-shifting shows and time-shifting television the way we consume it. And here is Roku, a company where he's been at for, you know, basically, I think, 15, 16 years at this point, clearly uh, knows this business, knows it well, but the stock had a terrible year. So the good news is if you look at their numbers, if you look at sort of like their top line numbers where they are now to where they were a year ago, uh, business is actually not so bad. Uh, There's 63.1 million active accounts. That's up 14%. That's a lot. That's a lot. And more importantly, I think, especially for what people feared a year ago, streaming hours or at 20.7 billion those people and that's up 19%. So That's a lot. Not, not only are we is it, is it growing, people are streaming even more now, which was always a real concern with Roku a year ago they're saying, "Oh, okay, the vaccines out. People are going to go out and play. They're not going to stream as much." No, we're streaming as much now and more so than we were a year ago. And Average revenue per user, because this is basically an advertising company at this point. Their platform, uh, it's free. Roku is a free product to, to, to sign up and create an account once you have access to it, either through a Roku stick that you buy or if it free, comes free with a smart TV that you pick up that has Roku. Advertise, average revenue per user is up 21%. So it's $44.10 over the trailing 12 months. All of this sounds great, and you think, why, it did, why didn't the stock double again? And that's where things turn rough uh, for Roku. And First of all, we had the supply chain constraints that I think a lot of companies were leaning on a couple of quarters ago. For them, their hardware business, uh, it was hard for them to get certain dongles and sound bars and certain of their products. Uh, so that business took a hit. And even though that business isn't very important these days, because again, a lot of TVs, uh, it was 38% of all smart TVs as of two years ago came with Roku factory installed. Huh. So they didn't necessarily need the dongle business and those little plugins that you plug into your TV. It definitely didn't hurt. Their margins on that, the revenue took a big hit and their margins took a hit. But also even on the player side, which is where uh, it's, it's uh, I'm sorry, the platform revenue, which is their their business, now their bread and butter business accounting for the lion's share of the revenue, it took a hit because uh, for margins took a hit for many reasons. One of them, it's investing in original content, which sounds great when you're thinking, oh, it's wants to take on uh, you know Netflix or, or or Prime or Apple TV Plus, but uh, the problem is when you try to do as they are they, in November, they have a movie coming out with it's the weird the Weird Al Yankovic life story. Uh, I saw with Daniel, that with Daniel Radcliffe. So Harry Potter is Weird Al. So this isn't a low budget movie, and it's already um, getting good reviews, Rick. So you know I have not seen the reviews. I've seen the trailer, and I'm a big Weird Al fan. So I'm I was going to see it even if it You're was in. terrible. So uh, <laughs> I, I used to listen to Doctor Demento as a kid. So I'm all in on this whole Weird Al thing. So I'm definitely there for that. But uh, the fact that they're investing money in this, back then they bought like the Quibi library and they were able to use that. So they were able to get content on the cheap. Now they're starting to spend a little more. So you're seeing that their gross margins and, and their net margins are really taking a hit. And the last two quarters, uh, it's had negative operating profit. So it's a negative operating loss. It's an operating loss, basically. So they went from profitable, slightly profitable to losing money. And I think that's what concerns people. Uh, clearly, I think the company, the platform is still growing in popularity, but their ability to, to just, you know, you say, oh, when they grow, they scale, everything's going to come so easy. It did not come easy for okay. Roku, and they're really losing a lot. They're losing money now, unfortunately. Well, well said. And that's a big reason why the stock, despite a lot of the growth numbers you shared, 
they're not making money and you're growing a business that isn't making money and you're scaling a business that isn't making money, that can certainly send a shiver through the stock market and shake some shaky hands. I will point out about this stock, Rick, that five years ago, uh, it was down somewhere around low 20s. So this stock has tripled from five years ago. It's at $68 a share as we speak. It's tripled from five years ago. It is down from 480 last year to 68 now. That is a gigantic drop. And I think what we're seeing is the market always overshoots to the high and to the low. That's always going to be true. People get too excited when growth shows up, especially we would say recently during the pandemic. At the same time, we sometimes get too pessimistic as things come crashing down. So we'll keep our fingers crossed for Roku. But the reality is this contest ended two weeks ago. And so for this five-stock sampler, I will always have recorded a cost basis of $168.91 three years ago to $65.99 today. Well, actually, two weeks ago. That makes the stock down 61%. The market, as we set up, 33. So that is a gap of 94 points of alpha. Very hard to overcome. The best performer, Rick Minars, in this group of five, the trade desk, ticker symbol TTD. It was 24 three years ago. Closed just over 60 a couple of weeks ago, up 155%, triple digits ahead of the market's performance. Rick, what has been going right at the trade desk? Yeah, a lot's been going right for the trade desk. And and again, it also it, it actually was up even higher two years ago. It was up, up 214%. It had more Ouch. than tripled. Don't remind me. <laughs> right. So, so, but again, again, David, I think any of you tell anybody 155% over three years, who would not take that? So clearly a great three-year run for the trade desk. And it's it, disappointing that it slipped a little la- last year, but not to the point as Roku, which is interesting because the Trade Desk and Roku, they are really connected TV advertising plays. Trade Desk, obviously, a more, much different advertising play. But these are two companies that are basically ad companies right now. That's their big driver. One went one way and the other went the wrong way. So for the Trade Desk, uh, they are the leader, the undisputed leader in programmatic advertising. And they are a demand side uh, platform. And what that basically means is that Instead of the supply side that reaches out to the publishers, like reaches out to maybe put uh, ads on the Motley Fool website, something like that, this is the other side. They reach out to the advertisers who want to get noticed, and they and they allocate. They use algorithms to allocate their budgets. budgets. So yeah. it's clearly a, and it's and they do it so well that the revenue grew thirty five percent in its latest quarter. And if you think, well, what does that mean? I, I thirty five is that good or bad? That's a little below where it's been historically. But compared to its peers, a lot of advertising companies, even programmatic advertising companies, uh, like didn't grow that quickly uh, the, in, the, in the latest quarter. So as they said, as, as, as Green said, and CEO Jeff Green said in, in the call, uh, basically that they gained market share, that they were able to gain mark, outsize a significant amount of market share uh, by growing 35 percent. So mm. it's a very it's a company. The customers, uh, they're loyal. Um, you think that oh, they're just going to be chasing around deals, especially with the trade desk as the top dog. You would think a lot of smaller dogs, a little smaller pups, would be very aggressive in trying to land new customers. But they've been able to keep at least ninety five percent of their customers in place uh, for the last eight years. Their guidance for the current quarter is three hundred eighty five million dollars, which translates to a little at least twenty eight percent year over year growth. So slowing growth in this current quarter. But again, that's not so bad when you think about the advertising market and the fact that a lot of people are concerned, especially, I mean, if the economy keeps getting wobbly and things happen, advertising will take a hit. But the trade desk looks not only is are they in a part of a growing pie, which is the algorithmic programmatic advertising market, but they're doing so and they're gaining market share. 
So even though advertisers may be a little more reluctant, if people have to save more money to pay for their food, as we've seen with some uh, earnings reports this summer, that people are spending more money on the essentials and not so much on the stuff that you want to advertise to smoke out leads for, you do have a case where this company is doing so well that they should continue to do well, even though that is a concern uh, that mm. like with any advertising company, that if, if this dark cloud comes over us and, and advertisers really don't have the money to spend or don't feel that the, the people are going to buy what they're trying to sell, it would hurt the advertising market as we've seen in previous market downturns. But until we get there, um, I think the trade disc has obviously earned his stripes as the number one uh, name on this list. Merely a coincidence, Rick, but both of these companies are trading right around the mid-60s as we speak. If you had to put money into only one of them, money that you're going to need for retirement, which would you pick right now injecting dollars into over the next five years? Uh, you know, I'm going to be a contrarian on this, and you'll never invite me back on your podcast. You're going to uh, say Roku. No, I'm going to say Roku. I'm going to say Roku because as broken as it is on the bottom line, the platform's still growing, and, and I love the trade desk. I, I, I have my, I, 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 my heart goes pitter-patter uh, for the trade desk, so it's not <laughs> anything against trade desk. But I think Roku's really depressed. Uh, the stock price is depressed. Uh, I think overdone. But again, it's, if, if I had to, it's, if you told me which one do you think will beat the market, I think they both will uh, at this point, even with the trade that's up 155% over the next three years, I think it will. But I think Roku has a bigger shot to bounce back because um, the rival isn't really there for Roku. All these other big tech companies that they have, these things, uh, Google, Apple, Amazon, they all have devices that can plug into your TV and, yeah. and be these operating systems. Roku is still growing. Uh, so it, it's, they've been able to overcome that threat. They'll overcome a little supply chain hiccup and a little bit of margin crunch uh, as they spend on content and, and deal with any other factors. So uh, I, I am a fan of Roku, uh, despite the big hit. So I, I'm a fan of the, of the first and the end of this, of this sampler list. Do you think Roku represents a potential buyout target if it got even cheaper? I mean, uh, this, is, this is an oligopoly, the streaming wars. These guys are a major player. And if they've fallen on hard times, their stock gets really cheap. Someone's going to jump in and snap them up. Yeah, I mean, you asked me a year ago, I'd say, yeah, right. Like, who'd want to unload their Roku share? But I'm sure if a company came in with a, you know, with a decent premium, uh, despite it being well below the, the price it was at its peak last year, uh, I, I can't think of a shareholder that wouldn't just turn it in at that point. Yeah, it's definitely a takeover target, but that's not why I would, I would sure. buy Roku. I, I think Roku could stand up on its own, but it has to be attractive for any other company that wants some skin in this game. That is clearly a growing market, uh, judging by Roku's own growth, double-digit growth in, in accounts and in usage. Well said, Rick, and thank you. Chock full of information as you always are. You know, it's worth pointing out, of course, that nobody has to just buy one and not the other. And and certainly a big foolish investing point we've made over many years is that diversification is a good thing. That's why these are five stock samplers, not one stock samplers, and nobody has to just buy one and not the other. However, now that we have three years of getting smarter to look back on, it's very evident that the trade desk was one heck of a better pick than Roku, despite the volatility and significant drops for both. Well, Rick, we're running out of time. So let me ask you of the three other stocks, and I'll name them right now alphabetically. They are Next Era Energy, ticker symbol NEE, Teladoc, ticker symbol TDOC, and I almost say that gagging based on its performance as well, and Waste Management. Yep, a stock with a tailwind blow, the creation of a lot more waste that needs to be cleaned up in this world, ticker symbol WM. Which of those three would you like to pull out and say something interesting about? I'm going to pull, it's, it's going to involve two, but it's related. So it's just one point, but it involves two stocks. 
And believe it or not, it's not Teladoc, which I know you, if you start me talking about Teladoc, you're not going to be able to shut me up for another hour. So <laughs> I want to talk about waste management and Next Era Energy. So Next Era Energy, obviously, I'm in Florida. So they are based here. FPL is like their, uh, you know, uh, you know Florida a Power and Light. That, yes. Is that your utility provider in, it is, in it and is, around it is, Miami? It, in Miami, yes. In celebration, I think it's Duke. Yeah. So it's, it's weird. But yeah, it, it's, it's, it's clearly uh, Next Era Energy is, is a very big Florida company uh, doing great things with, with renewable energy. And I think waste management, obviously, we're always going to have trash around. But th- th- my point about these two companies is at the two-year mark, uh, when I was listening to the two-year review that you did last year, um, they were the worst performers. They were number three. Next Year Energy was number four, and Waste Management was number five. Wow. And, and Waste Management was, only, was up 27%. So it, that, that was the worst one two years ago. Uh, if only we could have ended it there. But the important thing about the only reason I'm bringing this up is that they were fourth and fifth. And the two of them lapped over Teladoc and Roku. So now they, you know, they went from fourth and fifth horses in this race to placing and showing at the finish line. Incredible. Uh, so an impressive run by two otherwise sleepy companies, but waste management up over the past year. And Next Year Energy, I think, is like practically unchanged, maybe marginally higher, uh, but clearly did not suffer the way the other three stocks just over the past year. So an interesting change at the at the finish line. I really finished. appreciate you going back and re-listening to our review from last year. And anybody can go back. And hear the original from three years ago or the review of Palooza's one, two years ago. And now, of course, three years later. So here we are. And I love hearing that insight from you, Rick. I'd forgotten that. Just the full accounting. Waste management was up 39%, six percentage points ahead of the market. Uh, Next year, energy, the number two performer, as you mentioned, the place horse up 52% over these three years versus the market's 33%. And Teladoc, which had been rocking and rolling with Roku, they were multi-bagger winners within the three-year period. Teladoc basically gets cut in half, finishing down 49%, way behind the market. Well, let's give the final accounting before we prepare to send this five-stock sampler, where all five-stock samplers go one day, to Fulhalla. The full accounting, these five stocks, as a group, We're up 27.3% over these three years. Unfortunately, that is not higher than the 33.4% that the market showed over the same period. So as a group, five stocks with a tailwind blow, a beautiful theme, and one that was worthier than the stocks I picked for it. And I think, I hope it's a lesson everybody hearing us this week will retain. The power of tailwinds was not enough for this group to beat the market. And yet, even now, Since I like to keep these numbers live, I can see that they're almost ahead of the market as a group just 12 days later. I'm not going to be the guy saying, keep running the race, even after all of the horses have finished and gone to the winner's circle. But I do keep these races going because I hope everybody listening knows from all of our five stock samplers, these are typically actively recommended stocks that we hope you'll continue holding, not for three years, but for three decades. So the trade desk has gone higher over the last couple of weeks, and it gives me a good sense of hope. But that's all I can leave you, Rick, and our listeners with this time is just hope for the future because we're now looking at the past. The past is complete. The full hallow music is beginning. Goodbye, five stocks with a tailwind blow. And thank you, Rick Munares, for the accounting. Thanks. Well, thus much for another review of Palooza. Thank you so much again for joining us this week, joining with Sanmeet and Rick and me, and 10 stocks, all of which 
have had quite different fortunes and interesting pasts, good and bad. Now, the past is always but prologue. When we send stocks off to Fulhalla, that sampler is done, but the companies sure aren't. It will continue to be interesting to follow these companies going forward. You know, the volatility of these few years is highly unusual. I know I have a lot of old hands listening to me right now, people who've invested longer than I have or have been around The Motley Fool for 20 plus years. I also have a lot of people relatively new to the market listening to me now. And to think about a stock like Roku, which has gone from 480 to 70 in the last year. So keep that thought in your mind. Hold those numbers in your mind, 480 to 70 in the last year. And yet, take it all in all over the last five years, buying and holding Roku, you've actually tripled your money way ahead of the market averages. Those kinds of juxtapositions are what we're regularly seeing these days. Great long-term performance, horrific short-term performance. I know how this movie ends. It's going to end well because the market goes up over time, but we're we're really in rarefied air, an unusual situation. Obviously, the market's not liking unexpectedly higher inflation reported this week, which is what's tilted them down. And yet, I'm still looking well above my lows anyway of June. I hope you are too. So the markets are always going to keep looking ahead. And more than anything, we try to look ahead of the markets. You and I should be focused on a lifetime of investing, not a year or a quarter, on three years minimum as an investor, which is how I've set up my five stock samplers, not three months, which is a quarter, which is what most of Wall Street is looking at just the next quarter. So therein lies our advantage. And speaking of advantage, it's disappointing, of course, to be talking about two samplers this week, both of which were waxing the market a year ago, and both are losing one of them now permanently. So since that five-stock sampler contest is over. But as I said at the start of the podcast, I do want to make sure I share with you the overall all-time totals for these 30 samplers. And the average return of the 150 stocks in these samplers over the course of time of them being samplers, 73.5%. The S&P 500 directly comparable up and down the 150 stocks, 34.8%. So take the losers with the winners. We're talking a lot about losing here in 2022, but I want to make sure, chin up, that you, dear fool, see what I see, which is that we are wildly ahead of the market with these 30 samplers. And I trust five and 10 years from now, as things have settled and begun to rise again, that this will look way better than that. So I'm trying to make sure we take the long game view, but I hope it doesn't sound like sour grapes because I fully acknowledge that these two samplers have been losers, at least thus far. I'm looking forward to our next review of Palooza. That won't be until early November. And I think at least one of those is going to put up some pretty good numbers for a recent change. All right. Well, next week on this podcast, regular listeners should already be rubbing their hands together in anticipation. It's the market cap game show. And the last time Brian Stoffel and Yasser El Shimi tied each other. And I thought more about the market cap game show, especially with the help of our listeners. Thank you, Sam Stevens. There has to be a better way than a game ending in a tie. Any Indianapolis Colts fans or Houston Texan fans can agree with me. Based on last weekend's results, games shouldn't end in ties, and indeed, they will not any longer. We're rocking a new rule in next week's Market Cap Game Show, a new rule 
but the same fun. And I will have both contestants back to join with me next week to join with me and you as we play the newest installment of the Market Cap Game Show. The Market Caps, they keep a changing foolishness. Capital F does not. Have a great week. Fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.